Hey everybody, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm going to apologize right now for the terrible audio. The audio is only going to be terrible in the intro because I'm recording directly into my computer. I do not have a microphone. I apologize, but I promise this podcast will not sound this way. And I promise this podcast will be absolutely mind-blowing because I've gone out and brought a guest back who was one of the favorites last year and again does not disappoint Annette Verpilo of Posture Pro joins us today to talk about her methodology and optimizing the brain body connections she's developed some of the world's most advanced rehabilitation and injury prevention techniques and literally is just this incredible wealth of information who works out of Canada in helping people optimize performance optimize their mind, optimize the development of the children. And it's all these things, you know, check boxes for me and reasons as to why I want to have Annette back on the show. I've actually gone so far as to invite Annette to my gym in Tampa on February 22nd and 23rd to host her Posture Pro seminar, which is, you know, I think just one of the most incredibly advanced, interesting, fascinating courses that may exist in the world right now. You can check that out if you go to education.posturepro.co. Actually, if you go there and you sign up for the email, you can actually win a chance to enter for a free uh, attendance at the camp. And obviously, you could sign up there as well. Space is extremely limited and time is very limited now. We're about six weeks out. So you guys should definitely move heaven earth to attend this amazing event. Annette will be here personally teaching and it's going to be absolutely mind-blowing. We get into such things as how your feet and your jaw and your breathing are implicated in everything as far as the way your brain develops, perform, and the way you think. And uh, I absolutely love, love, love this conversation. I wish I had more Annette, Annette in my life because this stuff is literally paradigm challenging and one of the best explanations I've ever come across as to why we are the way we are and how we can improve it. And I'm, I'm eager to get myself and my children out to see Annette and work in person uh, because I think the implications are tremendous. And you, I know you guys will love, absolutely love this podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks, my choice for blue blocking glasses. And again, I say, uh, you know, massive fan of Blue Blocks. Reach out to them personally. Talk to Andy. Uh, if you haven't listened to the podcast with Andy Mant, he gives you a really great explanation about uh, why Blue Blockers may be an important addition to your repertoire. So the benefits I see from Blue Blockers, honestly, are just uh, when I'm wearing my Blue Blockers, sitting at my computer for extended periods of time, my, my eyes don't get tired. My brain doesn't get tired. I feel like my mental acuity is better. And particularly, I also wear my red ones when I'm watching television at night or if I'm anywhere where there's going to be any amount of blue light or any amount of bright light, I should say. Uh, wearing the blue blockers in the evening really, really help with allowing me to get into deep sleep. So there's been a lot of uh, conflicting research lately around blue light, which says you know, some people say it's really bad. Some people say it's just bright light. I tend to be of the mindset it's just bright light. doesn't matter if it's blue, yellow, pink. Don't subject yourself to bright light. So... How do we do that? Wearing an awesome pair of Blue Blocks glasses, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash muscle intelligence. You can use the code muscle for 15% off. Don't hesitate, guys. Get over and do it before they pull this off the table and we don't get to do it anymore. I think today might be the last podcast before the new year. And if it is, I hope you guys absolutely have an incredible year and you've had an incredible uh, 2019 and I hope you're setting massive goals for 2020. I know I am. I've been spending a lot of time planning my goals 
and creating the action plan. I hope you all have an action plan. I look forward to helping you and being a small part of this journey as we all grow and evolve into creating our best selves so we can come at the world at our highest and best. There shouldn't be anger and depression and anxiety in this world and, and it's there and we can help each other and get through it and we can help each other thrive and be amazing and love life and honestly create a community of like-minded individuals who just want to make the greatest impact in the world and 2020 for me is all about impact it's not about making money it's about how can we impact the greatest number of people and empower them with the knowledge and skill set to live their greatest life in the body they love enjoy the show with Annette Verpilo. Annette, as I said, when we just jumped on the call, one of my favorite podcasts of 2019, and I'm so grateful to have you back to go a little bit deeper into posturology. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you so much for having me on, Ben. Yeah. So your podcast is one of our most downloaded and most listened and probably the one I've listened to maybe most. I tend to re-listen to a lot of the podcasts because, you know, so much amazing information. Yours I've probably listened to, you know, four or five times because it's just so atypical, right? And, and as we said just before we got on the call... People don't realize how good they could feel because this average or you know just feeling okay becomes kind of your norm. And you've kind of created this foundation around, hey, you can actually feel better and we can we can balance out your body to give you more energy, more focus, uh, you know, better brain function, better performance. And really seems like a very small demographic of the world has any idea that this exists. So I would love for you to start telling us about, you know, just again, reintroducing what posturology is to the audience, and then we'll continue on and go a little bit deeper. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're actually shying away from the terminology posturology in the sense that, oh. it, it, well, uh, it, posturology is, is a science that has been around since the 18th century. And it consists of a, many scientists at the time who were trying to figure out how it is that man is able to stand upright and fight gravity. I think that one of the very first to introduce the concept of the inner ear by testing on pigeons was uh, as far as far back as I can find on the net was a uh, neuroscientist in 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 France called Jean-Marie Florence, which basically did a whole bunch of testing with pigeons and realized that, you know, the vestibular system is kind of the system that gives us postural stability. And from that point on, many, many other scientists, and again, in Europe, came up with different concepts, the feet, the eyes, modifying cuspids or adding heights on the teeth to see if it affects postural stability. And then coming to North America, tapping into functional neurology or even how our, our understanding of how this balance system even develops really does go back to the 18th century. So when we say posturology, it really is a term that's unregulated, unfortunately. And the, the method that, that we've created, which we refer to as the Posture Pro method, is a method that does combine the knowledge of this science uh, going back to the 18th cent uh, century and combined with what we know now in functional neurology. So we address really many components into one to give a really, uh, how can I say, a really simple way of, of looking at someone's posture and being able to determine which part of their brain is not functioning optimally. And, and when I say which part of the brain, I'm, I'm really talking about neuronal connections, right? Brain plasticity. And by reconnecting these brain parts, what we often see is that uh, whether we're talking about athletes, their, their performance increases, their energy level increases, 
pain decreases, and there's just more availability to the individual to just function, to have just a better quality of life. So it sounds like, and I think we spoke about this briefly last time, it sounds like there should be some ideal posture for each person, yet maybe developmental things get in the way, maybe injuries get in the way. Is that you know basically the foundation of this is like you're meant to be this perfect functioning moving being yet somewhere along the way either in your first three to six years of life or you know throughout your athletic history something has happened that's you know set something off that has in some way inhibited your brain and body's ability to connect yeah exactly that that's really what it is and and where i find that the biggest problem lies and that's that's what we were talking about before uh, recording the podcast is that most people are unaware yeah. what to look for. They think that this is something that's normal. I have lower back pain. Fine. Uh, this is normal to live with this. Oh, my my kid is walking funny as he's growing up. And, and I'm parents are thinking that this is normal because, I mean, when we have the child, when the child sees a doctor, everything, nothing's wrong with the kid, right? He's healthy. Uh, there, there's no issues. So there, nothing is being reported. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we look at children, there really, there really is a doorway into the, the development of their brain that we can see with the way that they're already walking. And that does happen before, well, in the first year of life when we learn how to walk and is going to continue to develop all the way on through the sixth year of life. And at that point, what children or what we've all gone through is that we've developed what we call experienced dependent genes, which basically allows us to how can I say, develop different parts of our brain fully so that all of those localized functions of our brain can actually connect together and give us brain balance, which gives us ultimately postural stability and also control over our autonomic system. The, the reality of it is uh, ultimately is when we address the brain, we affect all of those systems at once. And definitely this is something that is not being looked at in my perspective, is is the future of, I don't want to say medicine, but is the future of prevention, definitely with children, and uh, certainly in, in athletics. Because, I mean, if you uh, look at someone's posture and the way that they're walking, you already have a, a, a kind of an understanding of how their brain is processing that sensory input and how the brain is actually projecting on the motor cortex. I totally get that. And does that make an argument then for the necessity of... Uh, diversity of movement and development as a child, right? So pre six years old, should a child be experiencing, you know, every different type of athletic endeavor and movement? Or should it just be like, hey, we're not going to interfere, we're gonna let you maybe play more outside and let you do whatever you do? Like, what do you recommend from that early age? Well, I think that children should should be free to move as as as, as much as possible. Unfortunately, I, I don't know how it is in the States, but I know that in Canada, they're reducing playtime uh, relatively reducing playtime outside, and, and that's a shame. Movement activates the brain. And the most important thing for a child is to move. And this starts actually from birth. I mean, there's there's different types of sensory stimulation that we receive through our eyes, that we receive through sound, that we receive through touch, that is going to create neuron connections in our brain that is going to develop our brain as, as humans, as we know it now, as bipedal humans that are able to stand upright and, and fight gravity. What we're seeing is that children are not developing the same way as they used to. Obviously, the, introdu- the introduction of video games is is a problem to begin with. And I'm not suggesting we should eliminate 
video games and, and science and computers, what I'm suggesting is that it's a problem. Uh, if anything, we would need to it's a problem when these 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 systems are being introduced in the life of the child, which is way too early, in my opinion, which prevents them from moving. Uh, so, yes, I, I think that parents should be made aware. I think that there needs to be, um, you know, kind of a message out there that that lets people know that, you know, how about, you know, do a little bit of this instead of that. Or if you have to play video games, you know, play video games, I don't know, 20 minutes in the day as opposed to. Right. Or standing up, right? So or I, I plan, up. yeah, I plan to make my kids like, hey, you want to play video games? No problem, but you don't get to sit down. And you know, maybe maybe that deters them a little bit. I don't know. That's just kind of my my tentative plan. My kids don't play video games yet, but maybe when they when they decide that it's time, um, you know, just giving them some way to, you know, maybe it's challenge themselves during it as well would be interesting. So one thing you kind of mentioned there that I think is uh, important to to not gloss over is this this idea of six years old kind of being this uh, foundational time in their life where everything before that is effectively establishing the brain pathways. Is that accurate or is, is that uh, approximate or how exactly does that work? Well, when we're born, we're, we're dominant. We're right, right brain dominant. And the right brain really is the part of the brain that taps in into our sympathetic system and the left brain. The more we stimulate our right brain, the more the right brain creates these brain networks, it's then able to reach over and start uh, reaching over to the left brain, which is associated to the parasympathetic system. And then we have this kind of this system where the right brain is speaking to the left, the left and the right are speaking together. And we have this this front back and front of the all of these neurons that are basically being exchanged. And what that ends up doing is that it, it fully matures the uh, brain as far as how can I say as far as 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 muscular gaining muscular control over our body. And this happens within the first six years of life, the brain cells or certain brain cells become active based on stimulus. So if at the beginning of life, we're already reducing stimulus through I don't being born, for example, and, and wrapping the baby right away into into a cloth and preventing any physical skin contact, that's going to have an impact later on. It could potentially have an impact on the development of the brain. If if children are already reading like this, as opposed to developing their ocular lobe and, you know, developing their visual system, then the visual system is going to be impaired. And because the visual system is intrinsically linked with the vestibular system, it will affect the position of the head on the shoulders and hence our posterior chain, which is, you know, what we need to be able to stand upright. So again, going back to basics, what, what makes us human is the fact that we are, are able to walk on two feet, that we are able to speak, and that we are able, we're fully lateralized, we're actually able to write. And uh, when those systems are impaired, it it basically could have an implication on on, on a myriad of symptoms that we see today, Right. I mean, ADHD is, is you know, medication for ADHD. I, I don't have the numbers off head, but I, I think is around 50 or 65 billion a year. Chronic pain, that's over 530 billion a year as well in, in, in expenses. So with very simple tools, we can identify a brain imbalance, not only in children, because if you have it as a child, you have it as an adult. And the problem with these imbalances, these brain imbalances, is, is that they become postural imbalances. So a postural imbalance will be the fact that your left brain and your right brain are not projecting optimally on the left side of your body and the right side of your body. And what that causes is that the tautness, the contraction, the control of your muscle on the left and the right is not the same. 
And because we are human and we walk on both feet, then the weight distribution on our feet is going to be compromised. And then again, it's a loop that goes all the way back up from the bottom up. The information from our feet makes it back to our brain. It comes back down. It goes back up. And it's kind of a system that just keeps on feeding its, itself faulty information at the detriment, at the cost of our health. Right. So would you suggest then you can look at somebody's physical development and say, hey, because of this lack of development or uh, aberrant development in this particular place, you can define what aspect of the brain is not developed? Correct. And, and that's exactly what we, what we teach in, in our courses. We've come up with a, with a very simple um, um, stepping method, where, which, which allows the practitioner to be able to detect which part of the brain is, is impaired, which movement pattern is impaired. And then through very simple exercises like light and sound and touch and stimulus and, and foot proprioception and vestibular proprioception, we're then able to, to see an improvement in the session. And what's really interesting with that is that the person feels it instantly. They instantly feel either a calmness, a certain calmness within their, their parasympathetic system. They're now they no longer feel stressed. If they have pain, they feel a decrease in, in their pain almost instantly. And as with anything, it's something that needs to be practiced on a daily basis. But when you compare with most conventional treatments, it's going to cost you no more than three to five minutes per day of exercises. And children can do this. Adults can do this. This is what we're implementing with, with athletes, whether they're high level, college, college level, uh, whether they're weekend warriors, this is something that is good for just anybody, really. And simply uh, by testing these these different types of reflexes, it gives us a pretty clear window into their brain. Obviously, it seems as though somebody's posture will give you a visual representation of a map of the brain. So does it matter at what point in a developmental process this starts to lay down as far as, so for, as far as your ability to actually change it in the future. What I'm thinking is like, you know, if someone has a developmental gap, call it at, at three years old or six years old, and now they're 40, is there, is it still physically possible to make the change or have they had tissue and, and skeletal changes to the, to the, you know, to the effect of not being able to change it? So I'll answer the question in twofold. It's never too late. I, I, I like to compare the posture pro method to someone who says, you know what, I've, I've been unfit my whole life and now I'm, I'm making the decision to eat clean and start training. It's never too late to get in shape. Will you have postural adaptations, fascial adaptations on, that have uh, been created with all of these years of overcompensating? Yes. Sometimes you have to give time to time. But in the session, what, what we, the most important thing for me is to tame down the sympathetic system, get the person into a state of, of calmness and to a state of, of breath, and certainly give them the tools to understand what's happening, what it is that they can do to help alleviate this. And, and since they, they, they literally feel in their body the difference that's happening by doing, for example, simple eye exercises, uh, this is something that's definitely going to motivate them to continue afterwards. So, you know, we'll see in cases of, of scoliosis, if we are able to change the tension of the intrinsic muscles of the spine on the left side and the right side, over time, we may see a regression in, in scoliosis. This is not something, of course, that we can guarantee, but this is something that's been reported to us with uh, clients in conjunction with their doctors that literally quantified and said, wow, 
you know, we're seeing a change here. This is something, what have you done? <laughs> we're having the same types of results with people, for example, that are, are living with Parkinson's disease as far as the symptoms that they're experiencing with, with the disease. And certainly with the children, uh, we're hearing parents tell us that they're spending less and less time doing homework, uh, that the child is calmer, uh, he's able to, uh, he's not as fidgety, and he's, of course, able to to listen better in school. So I don't think it's ever too late. If anything, I think that the problem is that that no one's looking for this. And, 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 and it shows in the numbers that uh, in North America that we're basically spending on healthcare, those numbers are not decreasing, they're increasing. So that tells us somewhere, somehow, we're missing something. <laughs> There's a missing link that, that I think most professionals are, are unaware of. Absolutely. Now, one thing that you said there that I don't want to just gloss over because it's important for the audience to know, and I don't think it's, it's common knowledge, is some type of postural abnormality, quote unquote abnormality, you alluded to is a sympathetic stress, meaning it, it's causing your brain to kind of be on hyper arousal. And just by resetting the posture into its kind of natural, neutral tone position, it's going to, to turn down the sympathetic nervous system. Correct. Because if we, if we go back to basics and, and we look at the way that the brain develops and we compare our brain to when we were reptiles, for example, to when we started going on land and chasing animals. And then, you know, the, this entire, the development of this entire system is we have what we call a, a primitive brain, as, as I'm sure you've, uh, you've heard of before. And in that primitive brain la- lies a primitive parasympathetic system and an, an unmyelinated parasympathetic system that basically still exists in crocodiles. For example, they're able to take down their heart rate close to close to death and look like a dead log, right? And, and, and this is a defense mechanism that animals have developed for survival purposes. Uh, as humans, the way that our brain develops along with these the stimulus that activates our brain is that the more stimulus we get, we're then able to activate different nuclei in our brain that taps into the newer vagal system that allows us to calm ourselves down. And these nuclei are located, or uh, I should say this, this, this vagal system is lo- located in the lower part of our brainstem, uh, which is where the sympathetic system resides. So in essence, if we are able to what calms a child down is the uh, at the beginning of their lives, they're, they're unable to really tap into their parasympathetic system because it's not fully myelinated. It's not fully developed. And what calms them down, obviously, when a baby's crying is to either, you know, rock them or feed them a bottle. And what ends up happening when you do this is that, you know, through stimulation, we activate a part of the brain that just taps into the newer parasympathetic system, which is called the nucleus ambiguous. I I don't want to get too technical here, but this nucleus ambiguous gives us a sense, gives us the ability to control ourselves and control our emotions. And that comes hand in hand with the control of our muscular system. And all that happens in specific stages from zero to three, from zero to one, one to three, and then three to six. And if we are are able to, if we understand this concept, when we have a toddler in front of us, or if you have, if you just happen to have a newborn baby, there are certain steps that you can do to ensure that the parts of the brain at that point in their life 
are being developed as optimally as possible. Because if you develop the lower part of the brainstem, which is called the medulla, then you kind of go to the superior layer, develop that layer, and so on and so forth, until you reach full control of your entire brain. And that is true. The true maturity of the muscular, of the um, nervous system is control of our muscular system. So for new parents out there, can you give us some kind of hints as to what that might look like? Is it just allowing the child to, to move freely and, and not be tied up into a blanket? Or, or is it, you know, do, is there any specific kind of milestones or things they should specifically be getting their kid to do? Or is there a book you'd recommend? What parents should be doing, definitely, uh, the, the first thing I'd say, mothers should be giving birth with a pelvis that's aligned. Right. So if the pelvis is in torque, because there's a postural imbalance, the the woman is going to uh, probably suffer longer than she should giving birth. So that's one thing. And this might lead, unfortunately, to complications in birth, which might lead to cesarean, which at that point, if the baby's not born naturally, there are different types. There are a few primitive reflexes that are already, that can already be inhibited as opposed to activated through the birthing process. So that's Such one. as what? So so my kids were both cesarean sections. So I'd love to know what that is. So in the brain, so we have 72 movement patterns. All humans have, scientists have identified, like Bloomberg have identified 72 movement patterns that are embedded in every human's DNA. And these movement patterns are dormant. They're there. And and the way that they come out and that we're able to control the muscles that will allow us to walk, to have a contralateral walk, is through the activation of our genes, obviously, and then the activation of these reflexes, and then the integration of the reflexes. And when children or babies are born without be when they're born through cesarean, what ends up happening is there's there's a reflex, for example, the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, which in a baby, when you turn their head on one side, it causes movement of their upper limb and lower limb. It causes one side to go into flexion and the other side to go into extension. This reflex is activated at birth when the baby's head passes through the canal. So if there is a cesarean, for example, in that instance, the baby's reflex is not is not activated because there has to be some kind of signal to the brain that lets the brain know that they're no longer in the womb, right? And that signal comes through movement and stimulation. And those reflexes are the bridging gap between, hey, I'm no longer in the womb. I'm now out of my, my, my mother's stomach. And now I need to start developing my brain so that I can, you know, move freely. So the first step would be definitely address the mother's pelvis. Then once the baby is born is I think that skin to skin contact is absolutely crucial through the birthing process. And then try to restrict any, you know, I know that in the States, women, unfortunately, have to go back to work three months after giving birth. Here in Canada, it's 12 months. Uh, Breastfeeding is going to be super important for the development of the jaw, which is going to affect again, that entire system that we're talking about as well. And then uh, the babies need to develop and be able to move as much as possible. So in a newborn from zero to one and a half months, you're not going to get much movement, obviously, other than, you know, the baby just being a baby and wanting to eat and sleep and, and poo. But but what you can start doing even at that point, uh, you'll hear mothers telling you that the baby has a hard time latching on. And just the fact that a baby has a hard time latching on, that's already an indication that they have poor muscle tone, because a baby should be able to latch on without any problem. And then we'll have the different types of reflex. When you put your finger in a baby's hand, the the reflex is to grasp almost instantly. And you'll you'll have some babies that will not be able to even do that. 
So what can you do when, when they're, you know, anywhere between a month and a month and a half is stimulate, you know, just rub, rub their hand, rub their feet. And that's the only thing you could do in those first months. And then increase in the process as you move along from zero to 12 months. Very, very cool. So one thing you mentioned in there, and I think this is a huge topic of conversation that is completely overlooked, is the development of the jaw through that the sucking reflex and as it progresses through life with our food choices, right? With the way food has been evolving over the last 30 and 40 years, maybe longer, people are tending to eat less coarse foods, thereby changing potentially, you could tell me if I'm wrong, the musculature of the jaw, potentially changing our, our connection from our, you know, our brain into our body. Yes, definitely. The, the food industry is, is uh, you know, is, is a problem as we see it today. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm, again, taking it back to basics. Uh, mothers are told to some mothers, I don't want to generalize and say that this is the common understanding, but I speak to a lot of people and, and I love to hear their feedback. Uh, and the general understanding is that because women are now able to uh, to work and they've evolved into a, a working place, uh, quite frankly, it, it, it does take away from our time to breastfeed. And breastfeeding is absolutely essential. When I say breastfeeding is the development of, of what, when we're talking about the jaw, the, the real terminology is the stomatognatic system. And what that means is that it involves first and foremost, nasal breathing, the development of a child's palate, which will go through breastfeeding, which is developed through breastfeeding, feeding. then the uh, control of our tongue, which allows us to swallow at first our food and then speak. And then, of course, language. All of that system develops when the baby starts growing their teeth in the first year of life and beforehand starts with breastfeeding. So, once they're eight years old, I mean, they have they have their adult teeth that are that are already out, and the damage has been done. So pacifiers is an indication that the brain is not developing properly. Crooked teeth, mouth breathing, which you you sometimes see even at birth, that the baby's already right impaired. And then you'll say to me, "Well, yeah, but but there's allergies. They have food intolerance intolerances. Well, those food intolerances." which can block your nasal septum and cause you to breathe through your mouth, uh, can be traced back to a brain imbalance. So I think that it's really important to, if you can, to breastfeed as long as possible, as much as you can. If the baby has a hard time latching on, uh, there are certain things that you can do, such as uh, using a feather and simply it's called the rooting reflex and just very gently rubbing their cheeks. And you'll notice in a newborn baby, when you, when you do that on the side of their head, they turn their head on that side and they open their mouth to take the breast. Mm -hmm. And you'll see this reflex still active in adults. The problem with these reflexes is what we see today in adults is that if they're still active, if the brain has not learned to control this reflex, then you'll see a myriad of symptoms and things that I know you're you're very interested in, in Ben, you know, just being able to to breathe calmly and calm ourselves and, and tap into to that system uh, that I know you try very hard in developing. But this is a direct link into anxiety, uh, social engagement system, fear, insecurity, poor digestion, and, and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, I, I think that the problem is um, an intrinsic problem that that really ultimately is is linked to just that entire brain development. So now, assuming someone's gone through you know the first six years of their life not having breastfed as much as they maybe could have, maybe they're starting to see some some deformations in their jaw or underdeveloped jaw bones or or malaligned teeth. 
is there anything that can be done at that point to, you know, for as far as food choices or as far as uh, braces or as far, uh, uh, you know, you tell me, right? What, what would be something, an action item someone could say like, hey, I see these things are, are a reality in my life, but I want to make a change. There's always a way to create a change. You know, there, there's brain plasticity. The, the scientists have recognized that brain plasticity is real and we are able to form new networks. If we're talking specifically about the jaw, I'd say that most adults are unaware that they are clenchers, daily clenchers. Clenching your teeth when you sleep is something that is physiological during paradoxal sleep. It's something that happens naturally. But what is very unnatural is if your teeth are actually in very slight contact throughout the day, every day. And the problem with that and the reason being is that the nerve that actually innervates your entire face is located in that same area of your brain that we were talking earlier at the beginning of the podcast that taps into our sympathetic system. So in essence, we're telling our brain there's a lion in the room 24-7. And we're having, uh, and this leads, of course, to different, a variety of different problems if our sympathetic system is constantly revved up. So I think that the first step is to ask yourself, are, are, you, are you a daily clencher? And most people will say to me, oh, I, no, I'm not. <laughs> never clench my teeth. So I give very simple tool, tools. I've done many YouTube videos on, do, on this by simply positioning. It begins with awareness. You need to catch yourself clenching your teeth. So something as simple as grabbing uh, you know, red dots that you can buy at Staples, red dots to, uh, you know, that you put on folders, uh, put one in your room, one in the kitchen, one on the computer. And when you're going about your daily stuff, the idea behind that is when you see the dot in that instant, in that present moment, you will ask yourself if your teeth are presently in contact. If they are, then I would suggest to start retraining your tongue proper habits, which means that at that point on, you will try to position your tongue on top of your palate like this. Making this sound actually is the best way to kind of feel the proper position and then holding that tongue posture up there, closing your lips and breathing for one minute. Already by doing this, we're able to start changing the habits of constantly clenching your teeth and, and being stressed. And ultimately, we are actually having an impact on the temporal mandibular joint as well, because what deforms the teeth is improper tongue posture. Interesting. I had no idea. So you mentioned that grinding is a natural thing. Is that mostly in children or is that in adults as well? Because I think that's a big concern, or at least you're, you're sold that, you know, by the dentist that, hey, you need to wear a mouth guard or you need to wear something at night to prevent this grinding. And I, you know, I, I found that the more I used a, a mouth guard, the more I ground, I ground my teeth. So I'm curious what their thought is there. Well, most conventional mouth guards, uh, the, the mouth guard that you're referring to, I'm, I'm pretty sure is molded to your teeth. Correct. And yep. so what that ends up doing is, is if we look at the entire occlusion, the occlusion being the, you know, if I were to ask you to, to move your lips out of the way and just look at your teeth, depending on the shape of the development of your teeth, are you, are you in an overbite? Are you in an underbite? Is there a crossbite uh, that's happening there? So depending on the development of, of the eruption of your teeth as an adult, uh, again, there's links that we've made in our program that allows us to know what type of, of, of therapeutic intervention needs to be done so that we can have you change your tongue habits. And again, it, it does start with sometimes braces are needed because, you know, I mean, it, it's so far advanced. There's, there's nothing more that, that you can do at that point. But I think that if we can prevent it and if we can start already 
uh, stopping ourselves from clenching our teeth on a daily basis, we'd just be better off. Now, as far as the mouth guards are concerned, they don't address tongue posture. They protect the enamel of your teeth, which of course is important, but they're not changing your habits. Your habits being you're stressed, because if you clench your teeth is because you're stressed, you have the inability to manage your stress. Pain will sometimes cause us to clench our teeth. It's a defense mechanism to protect ourselves. But doing it on a daily basis, we're literally overtaxing our trigeminal system, which is overtaxing our sympathetic system. And how about in children? So is that a developmental thing or is that an aberrant behavior as well? Well, I think that in children, if we hear our child that's, you know, some parents will say to me, they're grinding so loud, you, you could literally hear it in the room. I know that in children, it's uncommon for children, three, four, five, to have the, the types of stress. For example, mind you, it's possible, right? Because there, there's, there, there could be children that are, don't have um, an ideal family setting. But mostly in children, we could be talking about worms, uh, if they have worms or, uh, in their intestines, right, then I would suggest referring to another specialist. This is not something that I deal with myself specifically, but typically with a child, there shouldn't be, uh, we, sh- th- we should not have issues of, of grinding and certainly clenching with children. Uh, clenching for me is something that is psycho-emotional. When we clench our teeth, we do so to protect ourselves. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. The, the problem with it is if we do it on a daily basis every single day, uh, that we're awake 365 days a year. Absolutely. So one thing we, we talked about was there's a connection between your eyesight and correcting posture. And I think, um, you know, the, this idea of the isocods that you teach, I'd love to get into how that works. Is it just the activation of looking one particular direction is going to activate a particular part of the brain? If you could just give us, you know, the the quick explanation or the simplified explanation, perhaps. Yeah. So the idea behind that is the muscles that move our our eyes, are uh, the, the the nerves that innervate these muscles are, are located in in our brainstem, and it just so happens that in that same part of our brainstem, we have another cranial nerve, another nuclei that is connected with our inner ear and the uh, what we call the small brain, the cerebellum. And by having someone move their eyes in a certain direction, what we're able to do is to have an impact. The cerebellum actually activates our, our posterior chain, right? It allows us to stand upright and it receives information, proprioceptive information, meaning information from your muscles and your joints all the time. It's one of the fastest systems. It needs to know where your body is in space, but it doesn't have the ability to actually actually make you move. It cannot speak to the motor cortex. It just dispatches information. So what we're doing is when we're getting the eyes to move, we're optimizing the information going into the cerebellum. We're changing vestibular information. And then we're able to, uh, through the cerebellum, we're then able to have an effect on the motor cortex to change postural stability. Now, don't forget that when we're standing upright, what we're really doing, and and we can record this, we actually do record this in our clinic in Montreal, what we call postural oscillations. A postural oscillation is when you're standing upright, there are machines that can record to the square millimeter how much movement you're actually doing within a surface. The greater surface you borrow to just stand up, in static posture, and the more movement you do within the surface, the more energy you're spending standing upright. And that taps into energy expenditure, mitochondrial fatigue. Uh, so the idea behind that is if you have an eye imbalance, 
going to affect your vestibular system. Your cerebellum is not going to receive proper information. And because your brain does not know where you are in space, you end up creating more movement to be able to stabilize yourself in your environment. And that's what we're trying to gain with simple eye exercises. But where, where I try to do the demonstration I did on my TED talk was simply able to, to, was to show and demonstrate that when we get the eyes to move, we have an immediate impact on the upper trapezius, on the erector spinae, and we're then able to change someone's posture in that instance simply by getting them to move their eyes. So is it simple, you know, up and down, left to right type of thing and kind of general for everybody? Or is there like, hey, I see this postural limitation or deficit and we're going to focus on just one particular aspect? Or is it relatively simple or similar for everybody? It's not relatively simple, although there are basic things that we start with. But I'd I'd, I'd have to say that in the context of of a consultation, it's really going to depend on the symptoms that the person is is reporting to you. One thing is for sure is is you know you need to make sure the eyes should be able to move uh, up and down and left and right and diagonally without without you know feeling motion sickness or or feeling uh, dizzy. So it's not different for the same, but you know there's different types of testing that we can do that gives us a, a better window or understanding into what's going on as far as the, as the symptoms that are being reported. Awesome. And one thing I'm fascinated with is is feet and like footwear, right? Like, I'm not, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So like w- what we're wearing on our feet these days seems to be just a, a, an atrocity as far as what it's doing to our posture. So I'd love for you to talk to that. Yeah, we're putting it, unfortunately, we're putting our feet in, in a coffin on on a daily basis. It's, yeah, the the footwear is is a big thing. There is a powerful sensory connection between our feet and our brain. When we're wearing footwear that prevents us from developing or or tapping into that proper gait, which is landing on your heel, then on the lateral band of, of your foot, and then, you know, on your on your toes, five, four, three, two, one with the takeoff with the big toe, and we're wearing shoes that are squeezing our toes, we're compromising our gait in essence. And we're shutting down um, because most shoes already have by default a small insert in them. I don't know if if you'd agree or not, but certainly the running shoes that I see have already really small inserts. Well, you have sensory receptors in the skin of your feet. Well, you actually have them all over your skin, right? But in the skin of the feet specifically, these sensory receptors are there to tell your brain about pressure, about stretch, about what type of ground that you're walking on. So if you're already creating a support in that foot, some of these sensory receptors, these mechanoreceptors are going to get numbed out and are not going to be able to send proper information to your brain in, tight, in, in, in terms of what type of ground you're actually walking on. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what that translates to is um, improper mechanics of the lower body, which affects your spinal column, which affects the position of your head and goes back down to your or goes back up, I should say, and back down to your postural stability. So it's really like a loop. It starts with the feet, and and then it goes up to your brain, and then the brain processes this information, and then the motor command goes back down. And this something, and this is what we call a motor pattern, a faulty motor pattern. You learn to move and live with a posture that is already compromised. And that's when the, you know, this is when we'll have clients that will say to us, oh, I'm, I'm used to being this way. I've noticed my shoulder is lower. You know, I, I think all day long to stand straight. I'm always thinking about standing straight and I'm unable to correct myself. That's when the motor pattern has become permanent. So in order to reverse that, and the terminology we, we like to use is to rewire 
the brain is simply by changing the input going to the brain so that we have an impact on that cerebellar pathway, on that motor pathway, by that brain connectivity, so that the information when it goes down to the muscular system is symmetrical and coherent. And at that point, that is also that also involves the sympathetic system, the parasympathetic system, and our ability to be able to control our movement and our ability to be able to control our emotions. I love that you tied emotions in that. I'm going to come back to that. But do you recommend most of your time barefoot for most people or people who have existing foot abnormalities? Should they be looking at things like orthotics to fix the structural issue before they go barefoot? Well, yeah. Uh, so I'm a big believer of walking bare feet. So I'll answer that first question. Absolutely. I'm not a big fan of orthotics simply because if we, again, if we, if we base ourselves back in, into what, what, what the orthotic is really trying to do is to change the shape of the foot and position it in a position, the midfoot into a certain position. But from a um, central nervous system perspective, it's actually numbing down the information that those mechanoreceptors are sending the brain. So in essence, you're cutting proprioception to your brain. And in my opinion, that's, that's not really a good, a good thing since proprioception activates the brain. I'll just leave it at that and, and let people uh, decide whatever is best for them. And then as far as uh, developing the foot, certainly with children, I think I'd like to say that uh, when you bring your child to kindergarten, every obviously your, your, children, your child needs to have proper footwear. Uh, what to look for would be, and this is certainly what I did with my kids, is, is to, uh, there are some shoes that are extremely flexible that you can literally roll like a, like a towel to give as much movement to not to restrict movement of the foot specifically in the first in the first year of life right and and afterwards so i'd say that those are those those are crucial things that should be looked for if we're looking to have optimal again development of our brain do you wear vivo barefoot is that I a do. Shoe? I do. Those are my those are yeah. my favorite. I, yeah. I don't. I, I said like I don't think I'm ever going to buy a different pair of shoes in my life. So you you brought up posture as it ties into emotions, and I'm going to ask you a very loaded question. Do you do you feel as though our postural abnormalities are contributing to emotional instability in general populations? Uh, yes, absolutely. When we look at the brain, there's a, a part of the brain that animals don't have, which is called the prefrontal lobe. And the prefrontal lobe is developed as we learn how to move, as we stimulate that primitive brain, that, that brain stem, and, and we go you know, up in stages and, and we start myelinating all of those brain networks, the motor cortex and the prefrontal lobe literally grows out, grows out of the sensory cortex. Well, our emotions, our thoughts, our, our sense of being able to control impulses or control ourselves or, you know, have um, positive or negative thoughts comes from the prefrontal lobe. As a matter of fact, you know, I was listening to, um, to an interview with uh, Morgan Freeman where he, he was uh, being, uh, he was interviewing someone, I don't know if you saw it or not in his, um, what was the documentary called The Story of God. And I, I thought it was extremely interesting. He was uh, interviewing a doctor where the doctor were using MRI technology to uh, be able to determine if they can predict who would have, um, you know, who is more susceptible of, of going into mass shooting or, or, you know, schizophrenia. And what they found is that the prefrontal lobe was improperly developed, or I should say lit up. 
And what we're doing with, with the posture pro method is we're lighting up. What we're doing as humans, number one, is we grow our prefrontal lobe and then we light it up. And if I'm basing myself from the concept is if from the early stages of life, we were unable to tap into that system, we were unable to fully develop to its fullest potential, our prefrontal lobe, then it would go into hand in hand with thinking that as good as we are today, we're still restricted in, in our ability to be able to develop these brain networks because we're limited by our own dysfunction. And the dysfunction being proprioception. So someone would have a hard time developing the prefrontal lobe if they didn't have appropriate movement and uh, just kind of freedom to allow that aspect of the brain to develop in youth. There could be an interference with that development. Absolutely. So that could be either mostly physical movement or would there be an emotional aspect to that as well? Meaning, you know, their brain may not develop appropriately because they're flooded with stress hormones or something, you know, whatever the, the, the environmental scenario would be. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if, if we're unable to develop our right brain and then our left brain properly, then we cannot have a proper ability to control our emotions. We might aspire to it. We might have discussions about it, but we're physically incapable of doing so because our brain is preventing us from doing it. So we have these different reflexes that are basically, I mean, trauma, what ends up happening is if we're constantly stressed, our body is it could be filled in, in some, some traumatic events will be filled in with, with our endorphins that will literally numb out our brain, numb out our, our body. And, and then, you know, it taps into our memory system and makes us forget so that we can cope. But this is where anxiety lives because our conscious memory pushes away this, you know, this, this negative uh, experience that we've had, but our subconscious mind records it. And this is where anxiety lives. So our ability to be able to control our brain really as, as best as we can, and certainly the way that our brain develops for me, I think is really something that most coaches, uh, trainers, mothers, uh, youngsters should be looking into. And, and for me, it really is something that, uh, you know, should be implemented in the future. Sure. Well, lack of emotional regulation is massive in our culture right now. We see it everywhere and it's it's sad and especially and it seems as though in these younger populations, maybe it is to do with the fact that we're spending so much time inside playing video games, watching television, not getting that uh, you know full posterior chain development just because lack of movement, right? You know, I, I sometimes make the, the bold statement that we're the weakest human species ever currently, just because, you know, we're not exposed to the elements. We're not exposed to movement. We're not really challenged. You know, maybe cerebrally we're developing well, but physically certainly lacking, it seems. And, you know, maybe there's a correlation there. And I'd love to hear if you have a recommended resource for, you know, whether it be new parents or anyone that first six years of life, teachers, even phys ed teachers, like my brain's just kind of going wild on how do we just advance this, the human species, right? And it seems like this first six years is so vital. If someone could create a framework to implement into, you know, you know, p parents are often reading these how to be a good parent books. And, and a big aspect of that should be 
you know, hey, yes, emotional regulation through allowing these people to move and not be constrained. Any suggestions? For parents? Yeah. Like, have you written that book yet? That's kind of where I'm leading to. <laughs> <laughs> With all the traveling. Uh, yes. You need well, a personal the, assistant the, who can the, write. I, I do. I do need a, I have a few, but I, I need more. Yes. No, the, the book is not, uh, unfortunately, is not yet finished. It's still work in progress. Uh, there are a few books. I mean, Disconnected Kids by Dr. Malilo that talks about that development. That and he gets the, into this stuff as well. Like the oh, movie. yes, yes, absolutely. Awesome. He's actually one of the, you know, one of the, He's done tons of Harvard research in, in regards to this. And, and what I'd say even is, uh, you know, everything that he's saying is, is pretty much backed up with with the research that he's done. So, the, you know, these these basic primitive reflexes are real. They're there. They're there for uh, one specific purpose because we're human, human. And, and they're there to allow us to develop our social engagement system and definitely our sympathetic system. So for parents, again, and the, the number one thing would be to uh, look at the way that your kid is walking is his arm swing the same on both sides did he crawl did he crawl did he walk at 12 months did he walk at nine months did he speak at 12 months normally all of that should be integrated by month 12 if a baby starts walking at nine at the ninth month of life they're skipping stages it's actually it's actually not a good thing it's it's something that's going to cause problems uh, later on in life because it's not allowing the brain to fully develop at the rate that it's supposed to develop at. Uh, there's many other books that off the top of my head, I can't think of, but I don't know if, well, you know, we could definitely post them in, in the link that, you know, I don't know if you'd want, if you'd want to do that or not, but definitely other uh, books that I can send to you, uh, titles that I could send afterwards as well. All right. One thing that I, I really want to touch on is we spend a third of our life in bed sleeping and sleep posture or, or positioning seems to have an impact on many things, including how we just wake up, what we feel when we wake up in the morning, but I'm curious how this ties into what you teach. So the, the way that I see when, when we go to bed, we restore our brain, we restore ourselves. The, the most important part of sleep is that paradoxal sleep, which is anywhere between five to 50 minutes and usually happens before waking up. The, the concept that, that I look at is when someone goes to bed with a body that is overtaxed, if someone goes to bed with, I'm going to say a postural misalignment. The resetting system never fully happens to its fullest potential. And um, yes, sleeping, uh, you know, a proper mattress and sleeping posture are important. But one of the symptoms that someone will say to me is I have lower back pain when I wake up. And for me, that's an indication that the TMJ, the jaw, teeth grinding is, is already involved. So what ends up happening when they sleep, regardless of the position they have, regardless of the, the mattress that they have, is because they're already going to bed with a, a body that's misaligned. They go to bed, they sleep, they grind their teeth in a, in a body that is misaligned. So the reset never actually fully happens uh, optimally. And the end result is they wake up with pain. So what I'd say, you know, it really, in my opinion, Yes, a mattress is important, but what it comes down to fundamentally is making sure that your posture is aligned before you go to bed. Get that mattress that's nice and firm and then, you know, sleep in whichever way. We can't control the way we sleep, obviously, because we're unconscious. We're not aware of it, but, you know, and then sleep uh, in, in uh, whatever mattress you feel is, uh, um, is convenient for you. You do recommend a firm mattress. Yeah, I do recommend a firm mattress. I have at home myself a, an organic, a mattress made out of trees, which is awesome. Essentia. Uh, 
Did you have, you have an Essentia? Yes, yes, definitely. Montreal-based company. I figured you'd have that one. I, have I love one. it. The pillows, and then you can you cannot <laughs> go back after yeah, this. My, exactly. my dog even has his little mattress as well, so I try to implement that. So they're the best. Uh, they're the best. Very, very cool. Now you mentioned the three pillars of your business. I'd love for you to kind of go through those for me. Yeah. So the three pillars it goes back to you know what I mentioned at, at the beginning of, of the podcast. It starts with sensory information in order for the brain to develop it needs to receive sensory input. And the three basic sources of sensory input that the brain needs is visual stimulation, which is your eyes, vestibular stimulation, which is movements of your head, and then proprioception. And that's going to come from your skin, from your muscles, and from your joints. So what our method looks into is basically looking at how how the sensory input is going into your brain, how you're actually activating that part of your brain that's receiving this information. How are you integrating this information and how is then the brain projecting onto your muscles? And by being able to break down these entire or modifying one or all three of these pillars, uh, this is how we're able to get most of the results that we get, whether we post, uh, you know, the, the pictures that I post on, on my Instagram page or, or, or even on Facebook or really on, on a- anywhere that I have the opportunity to post because, uh, because I find that they're very powerful images. Some of these changes are happening in one session. Some of these ses- uh, results are happening in three weeks and four weeks in a year, it really varies. But these results, these results are real. They're there. And they're simply because we're changing the way that the, pro- the brain is processing sensory input and projecting onto the muscles. This stuff sounds absolutely life-changing to me. And I have a lot of trainers and coaches that listen. How long is the accreditation process? So if somebody wants to come and become a posture, posture pro practitioner, how does that look? It's a six-day program that is divided into two uh, so we have a we've divided it into a divided it into a level one and two or a module one and two I should say and then a couple of months later two three months later uh, we suggest taking uh, module three and four and what we do is that the first module one and two teaches you kind of those how those brain networks work teaches you the the posture pro method which is the three pillars how you know the the assessment system that we've created how to link uh, your results to what you're finding clinically uh, how to intervene on it and then you know how to be able to implement it then into your business the module 3 and 4 will look a more d- deeper into the correlations so more brain balancing hemisphericity and certainly primitive reflexes as far as you know going back to basics and where does it where do all these problems really begin with and what to do about them. So uh, when you combine all of this uh, six-day certification and, and you bring this back into your practice, you're then able to address many, many, many problems in one because you are not only addressing uh, brain imbalances, you're addressing postural imbalances, you're able to address the, the jaw, you're able to change foot proprioception, you're able to change eye tracking. So all of these things are, as you've said, that they, 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 you know, we, we like to use the, the, the hashtag uh, changing lives because it, it really is life changing for, for some. Mm-hmm. Now, if I were to come to your location in Montreal, do sessions with yourself or your team, is it something that I may see an immediate difference after one session? And is it the type of thing where I have to come back repeatedly or after one session, do you do an assessment and then kind of send me home with a list of exercises to 
do. So yeah, so I, so this is something in one session you you may feel uh, the results. We 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 very often we do are, are able to alleviate symptoms anywhere between sixty to eighty percent in one single session. However, what we gain in that session does have to be maintained in the sense that it's going to be up to you then to do some very simple non-taxing exercises that are going to cost you no more than two minutes, I'm going to say five minutes per day. Uh, These exercises are more proprioceptive exercises. They're not exercises you do in the gym. Uh, They're exercises to boost your brain. And typically in a year, I'll see someone six times. So as far as how often we see each other, uh, so the first time and then three weeks later, and then every two months or two to three months, depending on the symptoms that you have. So it's a relatively... It's very efficient system because when you actually address the cause, the cause being the brain, then you kind of no longer have to do these muscular exercises to always, you know, to always maintain that that proper <laughs> joint position or, or joint posture uh, because you're really addressing the cause rather than managing symptoms. Very, very cool. What are the youngest people that you tend to work with? Do you tend to work with kids at all or, or do you avoid that? No, not at all. I've, I've opened up uh, days specifically every Saturday. I, I see children in my office because I know my schedule no, no longer does not allow me to, uh, I don't have any free time during the week. Uh, so my earliest is four four years old, and my oldest is 103. The more and more I do kids, the more and more I see how the importance of seeing children first. If we want to have an impact on our society nationwide, if we want to see those changes 20, 30, 40 years from now, it starts with the children. We have to give our children the ability and the possibility to develop their brain fully. I think that parents need to be aware of this. I think that doctors need to be aware of this and start testing. Right? Um, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to start that whole, that whole discussion. But but I think I think it starts it starts with education. You know, if there's a demand for it, then uh, then uh, the government eventually will follow and and you know, hopefully develop a system around that to be able to accommodate parents. Annette, this is amazing, and you're so awesome, and you're going to bless us with your presence at my gym in February, and we're going to do a three-day camp here, right? Yes, I'm super excited about that. Oh, me, me, me too. Now, where does our audience find the information about that? So to uh, find the information, posturepro.co and the education, uh, yes, posturepro.co is where all you'll find all of the information about the three pillars and our method, and you'll be able to uh, register to our upcoming course with you. How many people do you allow at that camp? I think that we have uh, 25 spots is what we've put down. Okay. So super limited and uh, it's not going to certainly last very long. So anybody who hears this and interested, take action. And it's a three day? I believe it's a two day. Two day, Saturday, it's, Sunday? Yeah. May 13th, May 12th and 13th, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Perfect. And uh, if that's not correct, we'll put it in the show notes and we'll certainly link to the cart where people can immediately join us. And I'm super pumped about that. And thank you so much for your time. I wish I could talk to you all day, but I know you're on a tight schedule. I'm super grateful for you and what you're doing. Thank you so much, Ben. All right, ladies and gents, that's a wrap. My conversation with Annette, absolutely fascinating, mind-blowing stuff. We all have little things, little developmental issues, little maybe aches and pains and bumps and bruises. And if you're in the UK, you call them niggles. 
we all have little things that are holding us back from allowing our brain to function, our body to function. And sometimes we just kind of accept them as, as part of life. You know, some people wake up with back pain and they go, it's just there. It doesn't have to be there. You just don't know what it's like to wake up feeling great. And that's the truth with your GI, your GI tract. And that's the truth with your mind and your brain and how all these things function. You can and should, and you deserve to feel amazing. I hope every one of you takes massive responsibility and ownership for your life right now in 2020 and steps up your game so that this is the greatest year you've ever had. And every day is the greatest day you've ever had. It's not just about the year. The year is way too long. We need to measure it daily. Am I doing everything? Am I checking every box I can check today to live my highest and best? Am I doing the meditation? Am I doing the breathing? Am I optimizing my light? Am I optimizing my water? Am I optimizing my nutrition? Am I training? All of these things in my relationships and my learning. These are all things that are absolutely fascinating that you can look forward to hearing to in the Muscle Intelligence Podcast in 2020. I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic day because I know I am and I appreciate you being here. As always, if you did enjoy the podcast, please let me know. Let Ashley know. Leave us a review on Instagram. Uh, you can absolutely leave us a review on iTunes. That's what drives the podcast. Share with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from Annette's conversation and our amazing mission to empower the world. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.